Hi there, my name is Tim. And my name is Luke. And you are listening to the Recruitment Now podcast. We are passionate about recruiting. Each episode, we share ideas and insights into the world of recruiting from world-class recruiters and researchers. This podcast is for recruiters, HR professionals, and anyone looking to improve their recruitment abilities. All right, so today we are recording with Gleb Sapersky. Gleb is the uh, CEO of a consulting, coaching, and training firm called Disaster Avoidance Experts. And his mission is protecting recruiters from the dangerous judgment areas known as cognitive bias, or basically your gut feeling. His newest best-selling book is Never Go With Your Gut, How Pioneering Leaders Make the Best Decisions and Avoid Business Disasters. And he'll be releasing a new book in April 2020, called The Blind Spots Between Us, How to Overcome Unconscious Cognitive Bias and Build Better Relationships. Dr. Sapersky is a cognitive neuroscientist and behavioral economist and has served for seven years as a professor at The Ohio State University. His thought leadership has been featured in over 500 articles, wow, and 450 interviews in Fast Company, CBS News, Time Magazine, CNBC, and Inc. Magazine. Um, And lastly, uh, Gleb completed his PhD in behavioral science from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, where he studied the intersection of psychology, behavioral economics, cognitive neuroscience, and history in business and civic settings. Wow. Thank you for joining us here, Gleb. Oh, thank you so much for having me on, Tim and Luke. It's a pleasure, and I'm really glad to be here. And I look forward to this topic. I I think it's relevant to recruiters because... You know, and I've probably been guilty of this too in the past where you see, you know, the evidence ahead of you and you trust your gut instead and then you Mm. regret that down the road. So, and ultimately recruiters are either making decisions all the time, whether Mm -hmm. to read this resume or this, not this resume, as well as assisting managers to make those decisions. So Mm -hmm. a big part of a recruiter's job is decision making. So the topic absolutely is relevant here and I I really look forward to it. But in fact, I actually think recruiters very often pride themselves on their cognitive bias. They almost feel like that's a selling (laughs) factor, that their ability of cognitive bias to be able to weed out the applicants is something, is their gift. Right. That's so I, why I can yeah. look at a resume in five seconds and tell you whether the candidate's going to succeed. Exactly. Because I'm so good at it. And that's why you're going to pay me Excellent. 20 grand, Luke. So to do <laughs> that, that, right? That's so, why I think this is going to be so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. We could all get paid that to do that. Absolutely. Five seconds for 20 grand. That's great. Absolutely. So, why don't we, before we get into your, your topic, t- tell us a bit more about your background. We read the formal bio, but tell us a bit about you know some of your passions and what you study. My passion is decision-making, partially because I see people screw up their decisions so badly, so often. (laughs) So that's a big problem that we see where, I mean, look at, let's say, recruiters. I mean, look at what happened with GE, where they recently had a CEO that didn't last a year after they had CEOs who lasted, what, 18 years, 20 years, 25 years. That's a clear example of where the board leadership And of course, the recruiters who are making the decision made a bad decision on CEO hires. And you see that all the time where CEOs, I mean, last a couple of months, you know, or for a year or two, something like that. Those are a series of bad decisions. And there's so much suffering that's caused by bad decisions. You know, I remember back from my childhood when I really became interested in this topic was when I saw my mom and dad fighting so much over so much dumb stuff that I was like, okay, they, you really should not be fighting over this. This is not good. Just over really bad decisions. So I hate seeing bad decisions and because it influences so many people and we make such terrible decisions when we go with our gut reactions. For people who actually, recruiters actually looked at the research, probably know that 
there's extensive research showing that unstructured interviews are the worst type of interview you could have, completely not correlated with future success in the workplace. But so many people, recruiters and leaders alike, think that they can do unstructured interviews and they're better than everybody else. And <laughs> no, you're not. Well, let, Sorry. Let's define the term here. What do you mean by unstructured interview? We well, just have a casual conversation like you and I are having right now, where it's not structured. There are no questions in advance. You just have someone come in and say, you know, tell me why you want this job. And you just rip and then you just let it rip because extensive research shows that there are people who are great at clicking with others during interviews who are really bad at the job themselves. They're great at interviewing, not great at doing the job. So recruiters get very easily fooled by these folks, unfortunately. And there are a bunch of recruiters in the audience who every time I say this in a speech, you know, they, they throw their shoes at me and boo me. <laughs> but, I but, guess, but I guess if you're measuring charisma or the ability to charm somebody, if that was a crucial element of the job, that might be relevant. But most jobs, that's not a crucial element. You know, it's, exactly. You most jobs, a, B and C, you know, not can you charm the socks off of somebody? Yes. And most charisma situations are not one one interview situations right. or many are not. So that is, you know, maybe for a sales position, but even sales positions, you have to have a lot of technical knowledge for most sales. So job situation recruiting context is actually a pretty bad indicator of the large majority of work situations that you will have to face. Now, Gleb, it, it certainly uh, makes sense that doing a bit of research is going to be very important for recruiters. But the fact is that we're all human and we're all... Uh, we all rely on our gut to make decisions. It's it's almost like a natural thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I love that about the title of your book because it's gripping because it's saying, you know, don't don't trust your gut. And so what does science say about using your gut and, and why is that completely irrational? Your gut is not adapted for the modern environment. Like you said, it's very natural to use your gut. Well, it's natural for the savanna environment when we're living in small tribes of 15 to 150 people, that's what our gut is adapted for. That's what it's natural for. That's where it fits well. So our, we are genetically predisposed. That's what our genes tell our gut to be ready for. That means that we will be very tribal. When we see somebody that has attributes that we like, we will then like that person and trust that person much more than they deserve to be trusted. That's called the halo effect. That's one of the many cognitive biases. There are over 100 cognitive biases dangerous judgment errors that we make as human beings because of how our brain is wired. So for example, if you like somebody, if you somebody who, let's say, went to the same college that you did, you will be, without realizing it, much more likely to hire that person just because they went to the same college that you did. I think that ha I think that happens a lot. Oh, yeah. all the time, <laughs> all the time. That, and that's a classic example, you know, them going to the same college that you did causes you to feel that they're good because it reinforces your own decision. So you feel good about yourself and then therefore you feel good about this person. By contrast, there's the opposite. If you see somebody and you don't like a characteristic about them that indicates they're not part of your tribe, you'll be much less likely to hire them. That's called the horns effect, you know, little horns as opposed to halo. So for example, you can probably obviously hear that I have an accent, not from around here in terms of the United States. So from the, the United States, research has shown that extensive research has shown that people who have a foreign accent in the United States, much less likely to be hired and trusted than people who don't have a foreign accent. Except Only for one. one. Accent. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> there's there's, there's probably one, one accent that, 
that and Luke's hoping you say South African, right? Yes, that's what I'm hoping. I'm sorry to hear that. There's only one accent. It's not South African. It's British. They still have Close that cultural enough. imperialism going for them. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yep. So the British one is the only accent that does not discriminate against here in the US. So that's an example. Another example, people who are taller are going to be more likely to be hired just because they're taller, males specifically. Well, I don't Tall see a problem with, I'm six foot three, so <laughs> yeah, I, I don't see I'm, the problem I'm, there. So. <laughs> well, you, you're probably a little bit too high to see the problem. <laughs> you have to lower yourself down to our level. <laughs> I get that those biases are there, but part of me thinks like, is it irrational to think that you can completely eliminate those? Because no matter, no, no matter what you do, there's still going to be some bias, even in how you, even if you ask the same 10 questions, all candidates, there's a bias involved in determining which 10 questions, etc. So can you eliminate mm -hmm. the bias? Oh, uh, you can't absolutely fully eliminate the bias, but it's kind of a matter of degree. You know, none of us can say that we're purely 100% civilized, rational, wonderful beings. But it's not a black and white, you know, that's one of the cognitive biases, actually, is black and white thinking, you know, binary thinking, yes or no. It's a matter of degree. You can be completely tribal and just say, you know, people who look like me, who have my sexuality, have my gender, whatever, those are the only people who I will hire. And you will kind of get yourself in trouble, not only with the law, but in trouble with the kind of people you have in the company. There's extensive research has shown that if you don't have cognitive diversity and other forms of diversity in the company, you're much, much less likely to be profitable and gain more market share. So big problem there. So this is a, yeah. one of those issues where you can actually make a very big difference by training yourself, by retraining yourself to be less biased. Again, you can't be perfect, but you can go from 100% biased to 50% you know, biased. And there's extensive research showing that you can do what's called debiasing. Gleb, how can how can people uh, actively in the moment when they realize that there's a possibility that they are being biased by their gut feeling, how can people very actively try to engage with the bias that they recognize and how they're thinking and feeling? So the first thing you need to do is to pause. And you know your mom is right when it says you know take ten seconds before reacting. You want to, to pause because our automatic system, our autopilot system, when we're just acting on autopilot, will cause us to be biased. That's the, our instincts, our intuitions. And it's not something we can do anything about in the moment unless we pause and we intervene. And then what you can do is you can ask yourself five questions to avoid recruiting decision disasters that I've designed based on the cognitive neuroscience research about what kind of questions should you ask yourself to reframe your thinking away from the cognitive biases? So here we go. I'll go through the questions one by one. First, what important information didn't I yet fully consider? So what evidence didn't I take into account? This is a really incredibly important question to ask because when we like somebody, we like somebody for a position, we will cherry pick evidence to show that that person's great, that person's wonderful, and they should fully get the position. What we need to do instead is try to prove that that person is completely lousy and should not get the position. That's what, it's very unintuitive. You have to go outside of your comfort zone. And very many recruiters are uncomfortable going outside of their comfort zone. They're comfortable going with their gut. They're not comfortable going outside of their comfort zone and looking for information that proves that their favorite choice is wrong. First. Second, what dangerous judgment errors didn't I yet address? So what kind of cognitive biases might apply to the situation? 
the halo effect might apply the horns effect might apply i'll go uh, talking about so i'll give a brief story about this uh, horns effect and halo effect i was giving a presentation here in columbus ohio to a group of 100 hr leaders at a diversity inclusion conference and our big rivals here at ohio state is the university of michigan wolverines football rivalry biggest football rivalry in college sports history so i asked them hey you diversity inclusion hr experts how many of you hundred people here would hire a university of michigan fan and you know what three people said that they would hire one three people out of a hundred in the hr leaders diversity inclusion conference third what would a trusted objective advisor suggest i do you, by asking that question you take yourself outside of yourself and you get about 50% of the benefit of asking this question just by asking it. And you get the other 50% of the benefit by... By actually asking somebody else. <laughs> exactly. Actually asking somebody else. Actually ask, call this person, or if you're a millennial, you know, text this person or whatever. <laughs> but that could but, be a colleague too, somebody that you trust, just getting their opinion like, hey, what do you think of this? Am I missing anything? And I think that's, that's exactly important right. because we, we're, we're so excited to move forward with our recruitment efforts that like you said earlier, taking that time to pause and ask somebody that question could be powerful. Absolutely. I think that's a good yep. point, though, because many people who are in the recruiting position, they're in a hurry, right? Totally. There's like there's 20 more people behind you, buddy. Like, let's keep going. And yeah. to then spend another 10 seconds thinking, hmm, am I being biased? Who should mm -hmm. I ask instead? Yeah. Maybe maybe there's a threshold at which, you know, you, you see a, a, a candidate's resume and you say, okay, maybe I'm being biased here, but the only reason I'm going to take the time to double check this, you know, phone a friend, mm -hmm. is because I think they've got something else that's worth doing the research on. Is there... So this is, yeah, this is a question you should ask about any decision that you don't want to screw up. Sometimes you will not actually ask somebody about it if you don't have the time or if it's not an important enough decision, but if it's an important enough decision, you should really ask somebody else about it. Or at least because... give, the, give the candidate the benefit of the doubt, I guess. So mm -hmm. you're saying, well, let me give them another chance right? Yeah. And that's part of the important information didn't they yet fully consider and so on. Now that's, so that's the third one. Fourth, how have I addressed all the ways this could fail? Have you done enough research on this person? Have you thought about whether their personality will fit well with the team? You know, that's something we recruiters often don't think about their personality fit. They think about technical expertise. They think about, you know, culture stuff, but they don't think about personality. That might be another area. So think about all the ways this could fail and how can you prevent all these failures in advance? Finally, what new information would cause me to revisit this decision? What would cause you to change your mind about this hire in either way, you know, either positive direction or negative direction? You want to decide that in advance as opposed to in the heat of the moment, because if you decide this in advance, you're much more likely to act on it. In the heat of the moment, we tend to be very much tied to our decision, and it's very hard to change our mind. So those five questions can really address a lot of the cognitive biases that recruiters and other sorts of leaders tend to experience when they're making decisions. So, Glev, you mentioned uh, personality fit, or we could call it cultural fit, you know, whatever that might be. Isn't that assessment a gut decision as well? Because, I mean, sure, you can quasi-scientifically measure somebody's personality. Uh, but to decide whether that person's going to fit into a company, it really is a subjective opinion. So how do you avoid the gut decision-making there? So the gut decision-making, let me be very clear. When I say never go with your gut, I mean don't go with your natural primitive savage instincts. So that's a big problem. So what you need to do is retrain yourself. 
retrain your natural primitive intuitions to be fit for the modern environment. And recruiters are in a especially tough position because they deal with so much stuff that's tribal that they have to make decisions about people all the time. And that's the biggest area of cognitive bias, I have to tell you. So you mentioned the concept of loss aversion in your book mm -hmm. as well. Tell us a bit more about that. And do you think, you know, there's a quote I love to use. It's from George Anders in a book called The Rare Find. You know, he advocates, you know, we should you know, seek out that ambitious hunt for greatness in our recruitment efforts. But uh, so I guess oh, two-part question. First off, what is the loss aversion uh, mm -hmm. concept? And second, do you, do you think recruiters would often, that would apply to their recruitment efforts? Yes and yes. So loss aversion is the first question. Loss aversion is our tendency to try to avoid losses over seeking the maximum gains. So that means that, you know, I'll give you a clear example. When, so when people are asked, would you take, here, let me give you 40 bucks. Now, would you give it back to me if I offer to flip a coin and if a coin lands heads, I'll give you $100. If it lands tails, I'll give you nothing. The large majority of people, 80%, 90% wouldn't make that trade. Why? Well, they feel safe about the $40. They don't want to do the coin flip. But the expected value of the coin flip is 50% of 100, which is $50. So, so do you think this effect, like I, one thing I've all often noticed is, you know, recruiters make this mistake. So they're recruiting for a VP role. Mm -hmm. Their pool of people they're recruiting for a VP role is other VPs. Yes. And they often have a narrow perspective. It's only another vice president. And they often ignore that up-and-coming director who's an mm -hmm. all-star and about to become a VP. And their pool is other VPs. And they're just looking parallel there. Because the safest bet is, if you're recruiting for a VP of finance, is to hire another VP of finance. If you're recruiting exactly. for a seat, the <laughs> not-as-safe bet is to hire a director of finance who's an up-and-comer into his or her first leadership role. And mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, I wonder if this effect, if you have any thoughts on that effect there in terms of that bias, I guess, for recruiters. And that's exactly what happens. It's you're absolutely right. People take the safe bet. They take the safe choice and they don't think about the long term. So there are two aspects to this cognitive bias. You, people take the safe choice in the short term over the long term consequences. And they don't think about, hey, that this VP who is about who I'm about to hire they don't want to stay a VP. <laughs> they may want to move into a COO role or CEO role. So may, they may you know, feel like a safe choice because, hey, they're vetted, they're safe, they're quality. Whereas if you hire an up-and-comer who will be grateful for the position, will be really motivated to work hard and stay there for a while, the company will be much more pleased with you and will be much more likely to use your services in the future. But recruiters, that's not the way they intuitively think. Loss aversion causes them to pick a choice that they feel perceived to be the safest choice, but this choice may be the worst for them in the long run. It's the, it's the human aspect of we want to play it safe. We want to make sure that the client totally. will be happy. So perhaps we're not going to be even more ambitious, ambitious to try to, to hunt for greatness, as you said in your quote there, um, Tim. Mm -hmm. But um, something else that I found interesting that you mentioned in the later part of your book, Dick Deb, is the Dunning-Kruger effect. Um, mm -hmm. Can you maybe share with us a little bit more about what that is, firstly, but then also maybe how recruiters could use that to be able to tell the difference between candidates who are coming across as overconfident versus ones mm. who are maybe just not a good fit? We all, as human beings, tend to be overconfident. I mean, this applies across across the board. If you ask somebody where they're 100% confident about something, you know, a recruiter says, I'm 100% confident about this hire, bid the house, and so on. 
extensive research shows they'll be wrong about 20% of the time. So we are really much, much more often wrong than we want to think we are. And that, so that's the overconfidence bias. We are greatly overconfident and there is extensive research that unfortunately overconfident leaders, VPs, CEOs, COOs, CFOs, they tend to get ahead faster and further because recruiters tend to buy into their overconfidence. Is overconfidence so, maybe correlated with whether it's male versus female? I've heard of that many times, people saying that uh, it's very typical of men to be overconfident and females to actually be the complete opposite, not believing in themselves when they really do have the abilities. Is there a correlation? No, overconfidence uh, tends to be more frequently male, but f women also are overconfident. And remember, you can be overconfident in the opposite direction. You can be overconfident that you're not a good fit for the role. So you can be overconfident pessimistic and you can be overconfident optimistic. Fair so enough. <laughs> over, over, overconfidence has to do with how strongly you believe in your judgment, in your decisions, in your perception, in your self-evaluation. It doesn't have to do with whether you're positive about yourself or you're negative about yourself. And how do you think a recruiter could, could use the knowledge of that to be able to tell the difference between a candidate who is overconfident in their abilities whether it's whether they're overconfident they're able to do the job or not able to do the job. And I think that's an important question because an interview mm -hmm. is set up for you to talk about yourself like you're yes. not supposed how to be you humble. Are, yeah. How I did it. I mean the heck the star model is all about I. This is what I did yes. on the team and Good point. the whole recruitment process is almost setting up a scenario where you have for to be overconfident or you're yeah. not getting the job. So any thoughts on that yes. And that's exactly the big problem. The overconfidence we have a lot of research showing that overconfident CEOs, CFOs, VPs, and so on cause their companies to underperform. So, for example, the more often a C-suite leader, especially CEO, tends to appear in the media, the less well their company tends to perform. That's an example. There are many other examples of overconfidence with their mergers and acquisitions, for example. The more they tend to be overconfident, the more they tend to overpay for companies when they're doing mergers and acquisitions bad thing for the company, right? But that's the star system and that's set up to fail actually. So people who are stars are often the worst people to hire. What you want to do, you want to hire people who are less overconfident than the average. Say when you're evaluating a project, ask that person, how much of a role did you play in the project success? If you have a team of five people and this person was part of a team of five people and they say, I was 80% responsible for the success of this project, well, you got yourself somebody who's super overconfident here. <laughs> and you probably want to be a little bit skeptical about this person's claims in that area and others. So that's a good a percentage is a good way of evaluating this person, how confident, how overconfident this person is in terms of their responsibility for the success of a company. All right, Gleb, so you have another book coming out uh, later this year, I believe in April uh, 2020. Tell us a bit about that book and what, it, what it's about. Yes, yeah, so The Blind Spots Between Us is my next book. It's going to be looking at specifically at relationships. So how do we manage our relationships effectively? And of course, it's going to be really important for recruiters to manage their relationships effectively. And it's also about personal relationships as well as professional relationships. It's not something we think about a lot, but you know, if you're, there's a reason there's a 40% divorce rate in the United States. There's a reason there's so much conflict 
polarization in this country. And that's a bad thing. And that's something that this book looks at. How do we manage those effectively going forward and make good decisions in our relationships? All right. That was uh, Gleb Sapersky, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm.